funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Welcome to another episode of the Silver Screen Video with your host Jonathan and Jacob. Jacob, how's it going? How's the weather up there? You hold? Are you okay? Are you snowed in? You know, have you seen civilization? You know, first snow of the season uh, wasn't much. You know, wasn't. Oh, much. really? I thought it was like a fucking blizzard. No, it, well, it was like really bad like weather, but it was mostly just like freezing rain. Um, and we had a little bit of snow, but not much. Yeah. Can't even trust the fucking weather anymore. Fake news people. You know, (laughs) they made me think that fucking New York was turning into a goddamn Mad Max snow hellscape. Um, not sure Mad Max was the right, was the right reference point there. You know what? Do you really need to do that? (laughs) The day after tomorrow (laughs) would be more like it. That's my second. You know, clearly we're not going to rehash the first one. That's my second like real crash and burn reference. My brain's not my brain's not turned on today for some reason. Um, yeah, you're not really there. You know, you're not really all there today. That's all right. I'm here to pick up the slack. You know. Oh, perfect. There we go. Ooh, with sick references like Roland Embrick's 2007 classic, <laughs> The Day After Tomorrow. Hey, that movie is better than people give it credit for. Dennis Quaid, great performance. Uh, really great performance. <laughs> It was, he was, I liked that movie. That was a good movie, dude. Roland Emmerich uh, is like a poor man's Michael Bay. He delivers, dude. He could give you, he could give you that movie and then he can give you the Patriot and then he can give you Independence Day. Come on. That's range. Look, slow your roll. Okay. I like Roland Emmerich. I'm laughing at you calling Dennis Quaid in the day after tomorrow, a great performance. It was a great performance for what it was. I'm not saying he's fucking De Niro and Raging Bull, but he knew what movie he was in and him and Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, I'm not going to defend that movie. That movie stands on its own two feet. Emmy Rossum in that movie too. Yep. Uh, before, I think that was before or in the middle of fame from her show. I can't remember what it's called. Shameless. Uh, Shameless, yeah, I've never watched it. Never okay. seen an episode, but I've seen parts of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think once again we we picked up on it. Um, <laughs> so, okay, guys, this actually that week, segues into uh, May December really nicely. Uh sure, we can talk about that first. Uh, we we've got a few movies to talk about. We're going to continue our year end review. Uh, if you have not listened to part one from last week, go back and check it out. We talk about some real gems, including Bo is Afraid, which I really need the Bo is Afraid fans to step up and, and back me up on this. Uh, but right now they are cricket quiet. So um, <laughs> it's anyway. quiet out there for, for all the Bo is Afraid lovers, you and that other guy. <laughs> um, May, December, you know, we can jump into that. Um, May, December came out last year, of course. And, uh, Todd Haynes, and it's about uh, a notorious tabloid romance that gripped the nation. And uh, then an actress comes to do research because they're going to do a film about it. And uh, I'll be honest, I didn't want to watch this movie. I only watched this movie because of this podcast. We had a couple people tweet at us about it, and uh, I knew you wanted to watch it, so I decided to put it on. Uh, but what what did you think? You were looking forward to this. You're a Todd Haynes fan. Um, what what do you think? Yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised at um I don't know, I'm a little surprised. Maybe someday we should do a 
Todd Haynes episode to get down to the nitty gritty of kind of what you think about him, because I, uh, I think Todd Haynes is a major director. And so, um, anything he puts out, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of dark waters and I'm a huge fan of, I'm not there. Um, so I'm not, yeah. not a fan, but I, the subject matter of this movie, which we'll, we'll get to my feelings about shit like this in general. But first, uh, I just wanted to hear what you thought about it before we jump to that. But I am a Todd Haynes fan. Don't paint me as a Todd Haynes hater. Well, it's interesting. The two movies that you mentioned that I'll, that I do really like as well. Um, you know, especially I'm not there, which is, I think one of the best biopics ever, honestly. Um, absolutely non-traditional and perfect. Like it, the way it, the way it worked was just so against the grain when it came out for other biopics that were coming out. Perfect marriage of, uh, like the structure of the movie and the subject matter, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. But anyways, it's interesting you point out those two movies because those are kind of the two, um, least characteristic or the least Todd Hainsy in movies uh, in Todd Haynes's filmography. I feel like, um, Oh, so maybe I don't like him. Well, uh, I'm just thinking specifically <laughs> of, you know, obviously safe, uh, the 1995 movie with Julianne Moore, but also, uh, far from heaven, which also had Julianne Moore, which is basically a direct, um, rip off slash homage to Douglas Sirk. Um, and then you have his Mildred Pierce adaptation, which is um, really high melodrama um, back when, you know, auteurist TV shows were a thing. Um, and this movie is very much playing in the same kind of uh, ballpark. It, it's almost like a, uh, it's a, it's kind of a tribute slash parody of, or maybe parody isn't the right word, but it's a tribute slash riff on the <laughs> direct to TV erotic thriller kind of thing, which is ironic because it is a direct to TV erotic thriller because it's on Netflix. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is, this is between the melodrama and the, the kind of um, yeah, it's like an erotic thriller slash psychodrama, you know, of this, you know, Julianne Moore plays this, a predator, you know, who, uh, who has, uh, went to jail for molesting this boy when he was 13 years old and the boy grew up and they ended up married and she had a baby in jail. And I think it's very thinly based on the real life story of Mary Kay Letourneau. Um, uh, cause the story. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's more than thinly based. I mean, the family, including, that the boy who is now a man, obviously have all given statements about this movie. Like it's, right. it's pretty, it's, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty borrowing heavily. We'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course, Natalie Portman is the, um, you know, she's the inciting incident in researching this, uh, uh, this family for a role. I, I really love this movie. I, I really did. I mean, it, it I, um, have a strong affinity for all the things I think Todd Haynes does. Uh, and that helps with a movie like this. Um, there was a criterion, uh, uh, like, like little series that they played on the criterion channel. That was, um, all about erotic thrillers in the eighties and nineties. And I just ate it up. I loved it. And so this movie was kind of almost like a tribute, um, you know, an academic tribute, right? Cause Todd Haynes is not 
actually a, you know, work for hire erotic thriller director, you know. Um, but I really liked it. I thought um, Natalie Portman is really, really creepy and unsettling. And in, in, in some ways, this is like the ideal role for her, you know. Um, and the the boy is heartbreaking. You know, there are moments that are really genuinely heartbreaking, you know, where and you can see him in the trailer and stuff whenever, you know, she she Julia Moore says you seduced me uh, to this guy. She really is trying to convince this this guy who was 13 years old when they first had sex that that she seduced him, you know. Um, and yeah, I don't know this. This it just really worked for me. I really um I really like the vibe of it. I really like the kind of creepy slash funny uh campy. The music is the music is almost kind of like the punchlines uh to different scenes in a way. Um yeah, I don't know. I really loved it. It's off-kilter and and really enjoyable. What uh what didn't you like about it? Well, first I'll say I agree about the score. I thought the score really played into what tone the movie was trying to strike. And in, and in a lot of scenes, it really, honestly, like I am not an erotic thriller, like expert. I, I haven't, like, it's not my favorite genre, but it really felt like a 90s type of vibe to it. Right. Um, and I liked that part. That part was nice. Natalie Portman was great. Uh, I think Charles Melton plays the plays the husband. Mm. Um, he was a good man. Like I've never seen him in anything. Like he was really good. There was that this there was there were some heartbreaking scenes, like you just said, and that scene on the roof really like bummed me out a little bit mm. because like he's talking to his son who's about to go graduate, and his son is literally like like you know hat like not even half his age, um, and it's nuts. And uh, they're getting high on the roof, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I never, I never, I've never smoked this before," and it's like. That, along with some other um, things that have been said throughout the movie, that's a sneak peek into all the shit that this kid missed out on because of how fucked up that situation was, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, really... it's, it's heartbreaking how yeah. how stunted and how kind of... Um, how, how much this kept him from living a normal life, you know? And it, it doesn't... You know, it doesn't intrude in the story a lot. You know, he's very much the third wheel in the story. But one of the reasons it's heartbreaking is because he's <laughs> he's the only actor who's not in a comedy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman's performances are, are very arch and very kind of, you know, um, hyper stylized and kind of over dramatic in a really interesting way, I think. But not his. His is just kind of straightforward. A broken person who's been broken by this this predator who is still leeching off of him uh, every day. I mean, what about the cake scene, dude? Where she is, she's freaking out about the cake, and like it was really morbidly funny because she's like, she's like sobbing about this cake, and she goes, "This woman canceled this cake order, and she canceled all her future orders." And he's like, oh, what happened? And he's, she's like, I don't know, her sister's sick or something. And then proceeds to have an absolute meltdown because of it. And it's like. Yeah, but not just that. <laughs> she got paid. Like the money was given. She paid for the cakes. But then when he's like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't a total loss. She freaks the fuck out. And she's like, yeah. what else could I have been doing with my time? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus. Um, 
But the scene I want to reference that, that I think really hammers home his situation is the sex scene. Because mm. after the sex scene, he literally acts like, I'm talking like it, it was eerie. Yes. He acts like a teenage boy. He says, he's let's like, go to the bed. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, so do you do this a lot? Like, or, you know, and, and, and it, it's literally a conversation you would be having after you do something like that at a young age and you're not familiar with it or really, or no kind of know what you're doing, except for like, you're trying to, to get it right. Like, Hey, let's go to the bed. Like things like that. Um, that's a nut that, that was kind of like the nail on the head of like, or that like, you know, the nail in the coffin, I should say of God, this guy is so fucked. Like, mm. and then when he's crying, watching the graduation it was like the, yes. this whole movie was just kind of I, i'm just gonna say it was unnecessary i didn't like it like i, I don't i don't think i don't think it needed to be made i don't Ooh, understand i don't understand like now mind you before i before i jump into this i need to say i am not a true crime fan i don't watch true crime documentaries i don't watch true crime miniseries i don't watch any of the shit about all the true true life stuff any of that bullshit i don't like it i think it's exploitative it gets on my nerves and this film, of all the shit he could have made a movie about, this film feels very exploitative. Mm. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like how it handled the husband who, who you know, not not him, but the, the ex husband, mm. um, the the children that they had, like, and then clearly this this kid, this guy who whose life was ruined by this insane woman who, for all intents and purposes, yes, was absolutely a fucking pedophile. Um, and then somehow managed to get her claws back in him, which I don't know the true story because I'm not going to look it up because I don't want to. But I just I, this movie just kind of rubbed me the wrong way in that regard. It's like that the whole thing kind of feels weird. I, I didn't like it. And and mind you, I don't like I'm not offended. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, like we've talked about this all the time on the podcast of like, you don't you, movies can't offend you. You can not like a movie, but like, it, you know, it can't hurt your feelings. It's, it's a fucking movie. But on the surface, this movie, I just feel like it shouldn't exist. Like I just, I, I didn't enjoy watching it. I don't think we needed this adaptation. He could have done something else with the budget Netflix gave him. It was just a weird thing to make, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think that is part of the movie's appeal in a way. Um, and what increases the ick factor of the movie is the fact that the whole time you're watching this, you know, this is based on you know, a real person, um, or real people, I guess. Um, yeah. And, th and that's my problem with true crime in general, though. I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, but when they did the bullshit with, with, um, who's the serial killer that eats people, uh, Dahmer oh, when yeah. net and, and I'm throwing Netflix under the bus on this because of this, like they did the Netflix thing. Uh, uh, Evan Peters was, was Dahmer and Dahmer became a sex symbol almost. Mm. on Twitter, like women were literally like, Oh, he's so hot. Like, and it was really fucking weird. So then you had the victims families, like what the fuck is going on? Like, this is so like, that's my mom or my brother or my whatever on this Netflix documentary and Netflix show. And I feel like I'm being like made fun of or exploited almost. And it's like, normally I would cry bullshit on that, but this shit is like this. You can't get any more direct than that. So Shit like that just gets on my nerves. So I am not a good judge for this movie. So if anybody's interested in, in watching it, listen to Jacob more than me. 
because this I, I am biased because I do not like this genre. I do not like true crime shit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's tough. We all have our, you know, we I talked about this whenever I um, whenever I watch Blonde. We all remember that, um, you know, uh, we all have our our buttons that get pushed. You know what I mean? And obviously, you know, the true crime stuff is one for you. Um, well, it's funny you say that about Blonde because I still haven't watched that because I, I like after you after you felt so strongly about it and I heard, you know, that and not to mention what I've read and stuff, it was like, there's no reason for me to, to waste my time on this essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, um, I, I, I didn't expect that and I don't, I, there's no, um, there's no inflection in me saying that either. Like there's, I don't, I'm not insinuating anything. I genuinely, um, Hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't know that that would, I wouldn't have insisted on watching it so much if I'd, if I'd known that, that, you know, you were kind of that morally opposed to the idea of this movie existing, which I respect, by the way. I mean, you know, like I, I, I am annoyed by certain moralizing, but other moralizing I get because I had a public meltdown about the movie Blonde. <laughs> you know, now, um, and also, dude, I'm not saying like I, I have watched certain documentaries that I that that really like somebody highly recommended. And I was like, OK, I got to check this out. I'm not saying I've never watched it, but the story has to really be intriguing or just so fucking bizarre that my morbid curiosity gets the best of me. And mm. this is neither of them because this is something that we read in the news every other week, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Just, it wasn't for me. You know, I, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. You know, my own personal, just revealing my own personal bias. Um, you know, if, if I see something like the Dahmer movie or something that is just, um, you know, kind of boilerplate Netflix bullshit. I, I, I kind of agree with you and I, I view it as exploitative or whatever, but if it is under the guise of quote unquote higher art, you know what I mean? If Todd Haynes, for example, is the director, um, then I let it slide and don't even read it as exploitative, which I, I admit is a huge double standard on my part, you know, like I don't, I don't know what to do with that. It's just, you know, like if, if somebody major is directing the movie, I'm like, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Hey man, that's, that's the beauty of movies, dude. You know, um, that's the beauty of art in general, really. So, well, let me ask you this. And I don't mean this as a, and I, we can, we can move on from May, December, but I do think this brings up a, an interesting point. Um, and I, I don't mean this as a gotcha question at all, but I'm interested in what this conversation, how it relates to Killers of the Flower Moon. Not because I I wouldn't have classified Killers of the Flower Moon as a true crime story. It seems historical since the, the amount of time that it's passed. But Scorsese at the end of Killers of the Flower Moon very much kind of uh, puts his own movie in the conversation of exploitative true crime which i think is a brilliant just a, a i mean we've talked about it on here but just a brilliant moment um but i don't know what how what are your what are your feelings on how that relates to killers of the flower moon are you like me do you think it's because do you think it's because there's been so much time it feels more historical than it does true crime yes but i will say at the end of the day like like what you said is accurate i agree with it it is more historical in my opinion but at the end of the day, like I grew up watching Westerns. We've talked about Westerns a lot on this podcast. Hmm. There, there has never been a Western made killers of the flower moon counts as well. No matter how much I loved it, that hasn't been exploitative 
mm. to the Native Americans. Mm. So there's really no way around that part of it. Like I right. watched, I watched Cowboys and Indian movies all the time. And like, that was, you know, we've talked about it at length on this podcast. That was like the kind of thing of like, Oh, Cowboys are good. Indians are bad. There's no context. There's nothing. It's just that. So I think with, with killers, it's just like anything else. Like, yeah, I love it. It's great. But no, that's a, that's a fair point because even though I do think it is bigger picture history and not like, like a school teacher sleeping with a student kind of tabloid play out. Like we see, you know, every other week, Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it is still technically true crime. It is a book about, it was based on a book about crimes that took place. So it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I guess it depends on which, which kind of exploitation you, you feel like doesn't personally raise your hackles. And also this is the last thing I'll say about it. You know, speaking as two, which I hate that I'm about to say this. I hate, I really do. I hate myself. For I know that. what you're going to say. Yeah, I know. But as two straight men, you know, um, it is, you know, there is something about true crime and there's something about a lot of the stuff that Todd Haynes is playing with, like melodrama, camp. Um, well, I'll just leave it at that. Melodrama, camp, you know, kind of erotic psychodramas, whatever. There is something about those genres of media that really appeal to women and, you know, queer men. And that perspective is something that I really enjoy kind of seeing from a distance. I feel like I'm like an ally in that regard. I kind of get it, but I never really will get it. You know what I mean? And so I think there's part of that too, of like, well, yeah, I mean, women are primarily the victims of true crime mostly. And they're also the ones who seem to enjoy it the most. So what, what the fuck does that mean? And to that yeah, question, women, women and children, I mean, yeah. yeah, and I mean, what, what does that victim, mean? Or victims, I mean, not enjoying it. Just the women are enjoying it. Like, yeah, just yeah, most of I don't think I don't think kids are popping on May, December. Oh, this looks fun. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. I do know I enjoyed the movie, but and I understand your uh, criticism of it as well. So yeah, if and anybody also, was listening, definitely you get it by now. You get what kind of movie this is, and you know whether or not it's your thing going in. And I'm not being like, I am stressing this. I understand that this can come off as hypocritical because I watch horror movies. I watch saw, I watch like torture porn type shit. I watch exploitative shit. So I am not saying that this is just not my flavor of exploitation, you know? Mm. Um, so I just want to be clear on that. I'm not like casting aspersions on anyone who loves this movie or anything. Like I just, this is not my flavor of, of, uh, exploitation and shit. That's a, so. No, that's a really good way to put it. This is not my flavor of exploitation. Cause we folks, we all love a little exploitation, you know? Um, um let's, uh, uh, let's not jump into another movie net on Netflix that honestly, I don't have a lot of thoughts on. Yeah. You watched it a few weeks ago and we, we briefly discussed it. I think oh. you are ended up, I think you're going to end up liking this more than me. Um, it's called the killer. David. Oh, I thought, we were going, I thought we were going a different direction with Netflix, but uh, oh, actually, yeah, that's true. We have another Netflix one, yeah. So that could be confusing. Now, nah, David Fincher, which we are doing a Fincher episode, uh, a couple of them next month. So tune in for that. But um, Fincher February, yeah, Fincher February. Uh, but th this is not my Fincher. We'll say that before I get started. Um, mm. After a fateful near miss, an assassin battles his employers and himself on an intention on an international manhunt. He insists isn't personal. Uh, I love Michael Fassbender. I'll say that. I like him mm. in anything. He's awesome. Uh, you know, this movie did not do it for me. 
This really? felt so played out. This felt like, dude, dare I say, this might be like bottom tier Fincher. Really? Yeah. Did not do it for me, man. No, wait, wait, wait. Did you ever watch Mank? No, I didn't watch Mank. So okay, I'm only okay. basing I'm just this gonna say on this. I'm just going to say this. If you had seen Mank, this might be like a cup of water in the middle of the desert. That's all I'm saying. That's how well, bad Mank was. But yeah, anyways. but when I when I look at it, I'm looking at like which we're not we're I don't want to I don't want to go into Fincher too much because we're saving that for next month. But I'm looking at the all the Fincher masterpieces, and then you've got like some B tier Fincher, which is still better than a lot of directors A tier. This sure. to me, because of how high of a standard I hold, even though I have found out he's a real asshole in real life, so that hurts oh, yeah. it a little bit. Um, this movie was just that he didn't bring anything new to the table. I didn't like the voiceover. I didn't like, but the fight scene was fine, I guess. But I mean, come on, you've got to, you've got to raise your game a little bit when you exist in a world like with John Wick. Um, so the fight scene was fine. I get it. I mean, I, I enjoyed the ending, which I won't spoil, but I liked him and Tilda Swinton's conversation and then his conversation with the boss. Um, but dude is really bland. This movie was a misfire to me. Like I didn't, I didn't like, like, honestly, when I first watched it, I was like, nah, it was all right. But the more I think about it, the more it's like, I didn't like it. So wait, fight scene. What about the, what about the sounds during the fight scene? The weird abstract Trent Reznor sounds. You didn't think that was cool? Well, I did. I I didn't dislike the fight scene. The fight scene was brutal and I did like the sounds. I thought it, it made, it added in some, some like when, when you watch a fight scene, like when you watch a movie that pulls you in, it's really kind of refreshing since, hmm. because when you look at it from a camera angle perspective, it's just really fast editing. You don't really know what's going on. Hmm. This was a mixture of that with some really interesting sounds that also like fucked with your equilibrium a bit. Yes. So it felt like you were in the fight. So that is cool. Like I'm not saying the movie didn't do some things right, but it was a two hour movie and I was entertained for maybe 15 minutes of it. Just, just one last note in that fight scene. The thing that I liked about it, I mean, aside from everything you mentioned, like it had a really abstract quality because at least when I was watching it, I, I, at first I thought I was hearing the sounds to the fight scene. You know what I mean? Like I thought there was no music or nothing over it. I thought I was just hearing, you know, uh, their, their shoes squeaking on the floor or whatever. And then you're like, wait a second, the sounds are not matching up with what's happening on screen. And then I was like, Oh, this is music underneath here or sound, whatever you want to call it. There's something underneath here. And that becomes really, like you said, disorienting. I thought it was, uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was great. The, 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 the use of sound in that scene, I thought was just, I don't, it was something I'd never seen before in like a, an action fight scene. And I thought that was, that was really interesting. No, I agree. And I'm not saying that everything should look like John Wick because then everything becomes generic. But I'm just saying like, the, like I heard a lot about the fight scene from you and from online as well. And like, I just expected maybe a little more, but mm. I did like certain aspects of it outside of the physicality of it. Um, but dude, Fassbender was really bland, man. Um, I don't know, dude, this movie was just, it really felt like a misfire. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Fincher. I don't know if he's, this is not bode well. I'm going to watch Mank for our Fincher episode, so I'll finally get to experience. I mean, I think it's going to be hilarious if I love Mank. That um, really will be funny, but there's no way you'll love Mank. I'm I, I'm, I'm telling I know you. You're, this is, Mank is ironically the kind of movie I would like, and I hated it. 
Well, I, I'm really disappointed with the killer. You know, when the trailer dropped uh, months ago, I really thought this was going to be top 10 material. And I put it on and it's just like, no, like this isn't, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. What about the humor of it? Because that was the thing that struck me the most is the fact that that what Fassbender is saying in his voiceover is completely antithetical to what is happening on screen. I mean, literally almost in like a Buster Keaton way where he's like, don't do this. And then he immediately does that. Like, did that is that something that I don't know? Was I making too much of that, you think? Or, or I think you were possibly making too much of the humor, but mm, I do okay. agree with you. Uh, one thing I'd like, I'm glad you brought that up because I did not find a ton of humor, but I did like the mockery of other movies like that because in mm. those movies about Hitman and, and, and Hitmen and what they're doing and all that, there is a lot of like, these are my rules. I don't fucking break my rules for anybody, but it's like, dude, the world doesn't play by your rules. So there's right. going to be a ton of shit. There's going to be a person where a person shouldn't be. There's going to be a dog. There's going to be an alarm. There's going to be something you didn't account for. So the reason you get away with that stuff is because you're in this fucking campy movie that accounts for it. But in hit and in the killer, it's like, no, like every time he would be like, oh, deep breath. Don't miss blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you fuck up with everything because you are human and there are some things you can't account for. So I took it as Fincher being like, yeah, I'm going to like kind of make a mockery of certain aspects of this genre that kind of annoy me. Right. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, see, that's the thing I just really liked about it. I, and I liked how Fassbender's character is like, I swear to God, it, it's like he's doing this shit for the first time. It's like, how do you not account for the dog? You know, like, how, how do you how do you not realize that the dog is going to wake up and come charging when the dog breaks through that glass? That was so fucking <laughs> sick, man. Also, dude, why not shoot the dog in the head? But that's yeah. just me. You're you're a you're a like it's not like you're some kind of like assassin with a heart of gold. You're like I mean, you're a borderline autistic sociopath. Like <laughs> dude. Speaking of which, I'm not going to spoil the the person, but I will say that that neck break scene um oh yeah that that was i was that kind of came out of nowhere because i was like hey maybe he is kind of maybe <laughs> he is gonna like kind of have some empathy here and it's like nope never mind nope not at all um damn i, I that that's that sucks it didn't work for you for you see me and like maybe i was just in the mood like once i get in my mind that something is funny i think everything about it is funny and so like i i just i thought this entire i thought everything that that um Fastbender did in this movie was a fucking Buster Keaton joke almost like um but yeah I don't know that's maybe we have different ironic sensibilities in that way man I'm, well, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised I'm surprised by this. yeah I'm surprised dude I've watched the, I've watched a couple of movies um that I thought I was gonna love you know past lives from last week when we talked about it I I, I thought I was gonna love some of these movies and it's like eh not for me Interesting. All right. Uh, well, you okay, want to move on to one of those that's uh, that's that movie for both of us? I do, but let's just go ahead and knock out our our, our Netflix trifecta because neither oh, of us have a time to say. About. Oh, it was. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, go ahead and introduce this one then, and uh, and and tell us what you thought, and then I'll I'll probably agree with you. So. Yeah, I mean, for anybody who knows anything about movies, you've seen Bradley Cooper talk about how he's <laughs> studied conducting for like six years and like um 
basically became a conductor. There's an amazing clip of him going around where he's like, he's like, I was actually conducting the orchestra there. And it's like, Bradley, no, you weren't, buddy. Like, it's not real. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like, it was a movie. You know what I mean? It wasn't a public performance. It was a movie. You were, you know, but anyways. Yeah, um, there's like a six minute chunk that was going around. And I heard a lot on a lot of podcasts and I heard other people talking about he's really he's really composing for six minutes. Right, right. It's like, I don't, it's like, I don't no, think, do you, do you don't understand what that, that works. really means? Like <laughs> Reality? I mean. Like, if they were in a concert hall and there were no cameras there, then sure. <laughs> but like, you, you know. Um, anyways, the movie we're talking about is Maestro. Bradley Cooper plays Leonard Bernstein. And, man, <laughs> dude, Bradley Cooper, man, I admire him for his commitment to the bit. But this dude is going straight up bozo mode in this movie. Like, his performance is like, dude, I don't know, man. Like, like towards the end, he gets the, he gets a chance to be, like, uh, you know, really somber and whatever. And I think that suits him very well. But, like, the, oh, the beginning, man. And I honestly, like, when I say that, I don't even think it was bad. I just think it's... It's just hilarious how how much he's go- fucking going for it, man. Like, well, I'm gonna say he's wearing I, a I, fake I, nose, like, dude. <laughs> I would just say that the one 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 it's hyphenated, so it's not one word. Um, to sum this whole movie up, that I thought of after it was over was ill advised. Mm. Um, this was an ill advised movie for him, dude. I think we're both fans of A Star Is Born, his version of it. Um, sure. yeah, he's great in it. He was great as, as Jackson. Like he, he, it, it, it was a really good performance. He was quiet and somber for most of it. Very similar to what, obviously what you just said, um, about how he was at the end. Um, but dude, a lot of this movie didn't work. Actually. Yeah. Most, most of, of this it. movie didn't work. Yeah. And then everybody was talking about how great Carrie Mulligan is. I'm a huge fan of Mulligan. I thought she was fan. I think she's fantastic. She was like so many great performances. Like last year's promising a woman or a year before last. Like, I really like her and most things I see her in, but dude, she did not, she was hamming it up just like he was like, this was, <laughs> this was acting like, I hate to say the term acting with a capital A that a lot of people say, but this was Oscar. This is Oscar bait. This is a hundred percent Oscar yeah. bait. And maybe on any other year you would have came out and you would sweep, but you came out against fucking Oppenheimer and killers of the flower moon. And odds are this movie is going to get fucking buried. Yeah. I, I can't help but think that too. I, I will say, I do think Bradley Cooper is a very talented actor and director. Oh, and me do, too. That's why I'm disappointed. I, he made this movie. I think there are some good scenes in here, but like, dude, part of being a director is being, well, I, I honestly almost, almost rule number one for being a film director, especially if you're going to not be like some art house guy number one role is just telling a story, you know, like that should just be number one. And then all of the other artistic concerns are secondary. And like, dude, you're just, you're just not telling a story. You know what I mean? These are just a series of scenes with different aspect ratios, you know? And why do you have, like, I don't understand why you had to bounce around so much, man. I I mean, like, so you don't have to give me a stereotypical biopic, but you also don't have to do this, this like weird, it's tonally it's weird you're jumping around you've got different ratios you're introducing these characters i don't know what's going on with time like i I was like i I don't know anything about leonard bernstein i'm not like i'm not some bernstein expert and after watching this movie guess what i still don't know anything about him 
Mm. I know two things about him. And the prob the problematic nature of that is it boils down to his sexual orientation. Mm. This movie did very little to convey to me how truly talented this man was because he was a genius in real life. I looked, I mean, clearly I know who he who he was, and I looked it up after the movie and like learned a little more about him. But I'm sorry, this movie broke down his sexual orientation to the point to where it made it seem like that was more important than who he was as mm. an artist, as a human being. And I just, I didn't care for it, man. Like I just, I don't know. This movie just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. No, you're no, you, you said it better than I could right there. It's, I, I didn't know anything about him going in other than he was a director slash composer or conductor slash composer. And I left the movie knowing maybe less, honestly, like, yeah, because we, we don't get to know anything about him. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. This is going to be really obvious. Put something in the fucking movie that tells me what conducting an orchestra is. You know what I mean? Like, the brilliance of Tar, I thought, was that it never really explains what Lydia Tar does because she's a big fraud, essentially. But, like, if you're trying to convince me that this conductor is a genius, tell me what, what conducting actually is. I, I, I genuinely, I like classical music. I listen to it on a regular basis. I don't know what a conductor of an orchestra does. I, I, I genuinely, when he's moving his arms and everything like that, I don't know what the fuck he's doing, right? So, like, can you just explain that? On yeah, so like, there could have been a really good scene where he yeah. literally broke down, like, what it means in his soul to be a yes. conductor. Yeah, because you see him in that, that Mahler performance, and it's like, dude, he's doing a lot, but, I mean, shit. I could do that listening to Mahler too. You know what I mean? Like, also, like, how does this doing? movie not mention West Side Story? It's one of the most popular, like, musicals in the history of humanity, and this movie doesn't mention it at all, to my knowledge, unless I miss something. No, uh, they do mention it once uh, when Carrie Mulligan is being interviewed on TV. I don't know if you remember that scene. I do remember that scene. Yeah, when they're being interviewed, but get this, she says. She says he's right now he's doing a beautiful musical uh, with um, Jerry, who is Jerome Robin, the choreographer. And she says Stevie Sondheim, who is the lyricist. They don't even mention the name of West Side Story. Like, that's a weird move, man. I know. And especially when you're going to do an entire like scene from on the town. It's like, dude, I like that movie. But like, come on, like. (laughs) And dude, speaking of bozo mode, <laughs> Bradley Cooper in a sailor outfit for on the town. I mean, come on, what are we doing, Brad? You know, like, yeah, dude. I, I mean, like I said, ill advised. I mean, Carrie um, Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan. I like Carrie Mulligan a lot too. Underwritten, I, well, honestly, I don't even know why her character needed to be in this movie. Uh, legit, and that like. You know, I don't know if that sounds sexist or whatever, but like literally her character doesn't do anything except for get mad at him for no reason. Like, well, that's what that's what I mean, though. Like, like once again, that goes back to his sexual orientation. The character is there to have his like heterosexual relationship or whatever. And then she finds out about his many affairs with men and she gets mad. Like, like she hears they hear the rumors. The kids hear the rumors. She gets mad at him. She stays mad at him for, I guess, other reasons as well. But that's essentially what they they broke this movie down to. And a lot of people came out and said, I believe the term is Jew facing about his nose. <laughs> and then the family was like, no, that's fine. Like you guys like the family's told the the, the family of him have his told the 
fans like calm the fuck down like it's not offensive it's fine the family should have been mad about the other thing though the family right. should have been mad about why are you breaking our our father down to 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 who he liked to sleep with why aren't you talking about what an amazing talented artist he was i don't know right. dude. it's just it was a miss man this was i love bradley cooper i think he's fantastic but i didn't even and, like tar that much and i would rather watch tar again than this movie I, and i will just say just a couple of last notes on on this because i do think it's an, an interesting point of conversation just because you know it's just uh i don't know it's just so out there like it <laughs> i don't know man uh but like um some of the early stuff where he's like really young and there's this feeling of just like you know 1940s 1950s just like excitement you know of like young people making shit you know what i mean like the the backstage and he's a musician and he's friends with other musicians and all, all that is very very exciting she's a broadway actress and all of this is very very exciting and then it comes to a screeching grinding halt like like midway through you know which i get it you're moving on to his middle age but it still is it's fucking boring you know um, i agree and i was gonna say one more thing oh about the nose about the nose the bradley cooper is a massive massive egotist right which is completely fine like you you kind of have to be to be an actor or to be certainly to be a director slash actor he has like a bird bradley cooper very handsome but he has like a bird-like quality to himself right i'm convinced he gave himself that nose because he is more like classically handsome with that like bigger nose with that like roman nose than his normal little bird-like features like <laughs> no one will be able to convince me that it, deep down he really did it for like to look exactly like leonard bernstein like there's no way i i truly believe in my heart of hearts he made he did that he wore that nose to be more like stereotypically classically handsome and more masculine than his little bird-like features that he has naturally no one will convince me otherwise and maybe that's i don't know maybe that's me being a catty little gay dude inside but that's <laughs> i don't know man i just i saw this and i was like you wore that fucking nose because you thought you looked cool <laughs> like <laughs> Well, uh, you're going to have to go out on this limb by yourself uh, because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. All right. Um, I, we'll I honestly I honestly hadn't even thought about it. So we'll, we'll put the, the, like, it's it's not really a criticism of the movie here and it's not real. But I was just like, I can't I couldn't help but thinking throughout the whole movie. I was like, <laughs> you motherfucker. I know why you did this. You th You think you look handsome with it. Like that's, you know. But yeah. uh I don't know, dude. I just, once again, what, what irritates me is I, I would have rather you spent your time making something else instead of this movie. Like I, I, I wanted to see a better follow-up to, to a star is born. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but plus a star is born. I mean, honestly, like a great measure of his talent in star is born is just that he doesn't fuck it up, which is not really saying a whole lot, but you know, other people would have, Rob Marshall would have fucked that movie to death, but, but Bradley Cooper wisely kind of gets out of Lady Gaga's way. I think most of the reason why that movie works is because he casts Lady Gaga, who is the real star of that movie, 
But like, could you imagine if it was a Star is Born and his character in Star is Born was the main character and we had to see him go, go just straight up booze hound, like pissing on himself. If we had to endure him as like the main character of a movie. And it's like, well, that's what we had to do for Maestro. Bradley Cooper just hamming it up for two hours, you know? Well, that's where I'm going to disagree with you because I would have, I would have loved that. I'm a big leaving Las Vegas fan. I would have loved watching him destroy himself with alcohol from one embarrassing situation to the next for two hours. I will say this. I will say this. I I think the end result, I think you would have said otherwise. I could be wrong. Maybe you would have enjoyed it. But I think two hours of him just like, oh, come over here. Give me the fucking drink. Like, I think I think that would have worn a little thin, you know. But I don't know, know, dude. I'm a big Crazy Heart fan, too. And I watched Jeff Bridges do that for two hours. <laughs> so. yeah, you know. <laughs> That's a really good point, but Bradley <laughs> Cooper isn't Jeff Bridges, and he's certainly not Nick Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. But that is true. That is. Well, we have to agree to disagree on that one. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the. Our, we'll save the best for last because I I have a lot to say about our last one. Um, we uh we decided to go. I think we're kind of both going out of our movie watching zones for this next movie. I'm about to say. Um, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Based on a Judy Bloom book, and yes, we are watching this as not fourteen-year-old girls. Um, <laughs> when her family moves to the from the city to the suburbs, eleven-year-old Margaret navigates new friends, feelings, and the beginnings of adolescence. Um, okay, look before <laughs> I don't even know how to critique this movie, so I'm not going to. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say I'm not the demographic for this movie. Clearly, neither are you. The movie was charming. The movie was fine. It's based on a very beloved book. Um, I know a lot of people who loved it. It's popped up on a lot of top tens. It, it was, it was fine. Like I cannot really go into this movie. Like at the end of it, I found myself being mad. I was like, why the fuck are they doing this with the teacher? There's no payoff. We didn't spend any time with him. He seemed like an interesting character. And now they're trying to like convince us. We, we, we spent time with him. And then it tries to convince you that you should hate the one friend when it's like the movie has done nothing to make me hate the friend. And then I was like, you know, you need to calm the fuck down because <laughs> none of that fucking matters. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, what, what did you think? I mean, I, I do think the story doesn't quite fit together as well as as well as it could. I think the movie, you know, the movie really shines when it's just shenanigans. You know what I mean? When it's oh, just yeah, yeah. like her going to school and meeting people and like. And they have to introduce some kind of conflict at the end of the movie, which, you know, it's like it's like a rival. You know what I mean? The vibes are great, but at some point you got to make a movie, right? At some point you got to circle the wagons and bring this puppy home. And that involves introducing some kind of conflict and some kind of like plot resolution or whatever. And so, like, it was fine. The plot and, and didn't really work for me and the conflict didn't work for me. I just wanted everybody to get along. Like I, I thought it was such a charming, um, I don't know, man, just all those girls being friends and like learning about life together. It's a really good movie about, you know, childhood turning into adolescence and like just Benny Safdie playing his records and um, what, fucking Rachel McAdams being just the best mom in human history. I mean, like, dude, I didn't want any conflict to happen. I just wanted two hours of that. And that, that was, that was the part of the movie that I really enjoyed. Um, well, first so, off, yeah. there's no reason to take a shot at a rival. I mean, no reason at all. That wasn't uh, even a shot. I just, <laughs> it was a pretty big shot. You basically said it wasn't a movie. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> and also, if you listen, they're coming to arrest you. They for, are for besmirching Denis Villeneuve's uh, fantastic movie. Um, no, no, no. Look, no. I, sorry, let me clarify what I mean by that. What I mean is like Arrival. Like that's why I like Arrival. Like because the beginning vibes are so good, but then it's like, you got to turn this into a plot and the plot is what I didn't like about arrival. I just like the vibes. Right. And that's kind of the way I felt about this movie. Like eventually you have to bring it home. You have to bring it home and you have to have a story. Like, I I don't mean that as prescriptive. I mean, that as descriptive, like you just movies have to have a story, right. If they're going to get funded and made and whatever. And like, it's just, the story didn't work for me. I just wanted I just wanted these girls hanging out and learning about life together and their goofy dad and mom, you know, like, and then when they introduced the fucking anti-Semite parents, I was like, oh, man, do they have to come and visit? Like, you know. Well, OK, I I'll, I don't have like I said, I don't have a lot to say about this and I'm not like it's, it's really difficult to to kind of judge the subject simply because it's. You know, it's not it's it's one of those movies that I under normal circumstances I would have never watched, but it was popping up on a lot of lists, you know, um, and and some people said Rachel McAdams should get uh, Oscar nom. I have no idea who why they would ever think that um, because I, okay I, I, I don't get it. There's too many strong uh, performances this year from women, but uh, I, guess. Either way, I, she, I haven't really thought it through, but she was fine. OK, but I will say this. The conflict was there all along. They didn't need to force the conflict with like the friends and the whole aspect with the one tall girl who the rumors has started about. And it's like, mm. the, like they think she has it made because she already has this or she has that. And she's tall. She already it's has like what? She, I, <laughs> no, um, she, she, but, but the no, movie, elaborate, please, the movie did a good job of portraying, like, like conveying to us that she feels like a freak and, and it's kind of like fucked up that, they're judging her for that. They could have used that as a building moment for the whole friend group, but for some mm. reason they just focused on our main star, which is fine because she's the main girl. But then they tried to make the girl she originally met be like the bad, the bad guy of the story, and it made no sense. Yeah, because the conflict was there because you're making your child ignore religion. The one of the most complex issues for children. In religious right. households is trying to wrap their head around that. And you've got this massive issue um, where she doesn't where she doesn't understand. And you've got the, the anti-Semite parents and you've got the Jewish dad who doesn't like they're not going to let her pick. She has to decide when she's older, blah, blah, blah. The conflict was there. They didn't yep. need to do any of that. I feel like they edited it some parts out of this movie to get it down and they didn't fix some of those issues. Mm, um, that's a good point. But it wasn't bad, dude. It was a charming movie. Good vibes. I love 70s movies. Um, this is a great movie for maybe young girls to watch simply because at a time in, in our country where certain states, including the one I live in, is trying to make you feel shame for something that's fucking natural, that's going to happen regardless of, of what a fucking book says about it, you know? a movie like this kind of more normalizes it. And mm. I thought that was kind of cool. That's why Judy Bloom was a rock star, dude, because she wrote, I, I do, I very familiar with her going into this movie. She wrote all these fucking books to help young girls feel more comfortable with shit that the society's always like, shut the fuck up about, mm. you know? And I, th- from that perspective, I think it's really thoughtful. I thought it really worked. 
So yeah, and there's some I, I, honestly like aside from the kind of I, I, I think maybe I made less of uh, I think I made I, I noticed the narrative squabbles a little bit less because I was just having such a good time. Um, but there are some really good uh, character moments in here too, where we get you know Rachel McAdams kind of uh, getting used to her life, you know, um, uh, in the suburbs. You know, and like you really feel that at the beginning where, where the daughter's like, we're not leaving New York City. And the parents are like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This will be better. You will have a yard. We will live in the suburb. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it, it's such a a simple thing, but it, but it was really deftly handled, you know, and also the Kathy Bates, you know, kind of lonely and in the city. And that scene, whenever she's in bed with her with with her grandma, like, dude, that is that is so genuine and so like just openly uh i don't even know what I, sincere maybe i think is the word i'm looking for it was just so like it really felt like a child's point of view like there was no oh the grandmother's being selfish by wanting her to come in or any of that stuff no no, no they were just enjoying themselves and they were like you can see why the grandmother is like almost in mourning because her granddaughter moved away you can see the the joy that that her granddaughter brings to her, you know what I mean? And there's nothing, nothing nefarious or nothing, not nefarious, but nothing like behind the scenes, you know, or whatever. It was just a joyful, sincere moment. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't see that shit in movies. I don't know about you. I don't see that shit in movies very often. You know, I like, no, not at all. Like the scene when she didn't get to go to Florida and any other movie would be like, yeah. no, I don't want to go to Florida. Like, fuck seeing grandma. I don't give a shit. But in this movie, it's like, no, I want to go to Florida. You're telling me I can't, but I want to go see grandma. There is something kind of pure and endearing about it. Right. And honestly, like that scene, that, that, that scene of her and her grandmother in bed together after they go to the thing and grandmother's putting the, and Kathy Bates is so good, man. She's like, if you hear any snorting or whatever, I just want you to know that's not me, you know, like. (laughs) Like, dude, that scene to me is is more difficult to direct than any scene in Maestro. And I, I'm not being cute when I say that either. I mean that really. Like, I really think that is like, it's just so deft and so in tune with human emotions in a way that some of these larger statement pieces that we see towards the end of the year are just completely devoid of human emotion, even though they're trying their hardest, you know. Um yeah. Anyways, that's 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 my piece about. I I thought it was really good, man. It's, it's probably not going to make my list, but man, it, it, I liked it. Yeah, I, I thought it was charming, man. I thought it worked. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about watching it and maybe thinking it's not for you because it's kind of a kids movie or something, no, there's something for everybody. There's some thoughtful stuff in it. Uh, so I recommend it. Also, genuinely uh, funny. Like not. Yeah, yeah. There's not some funny good in like a cute way. It's like really genuinely funny. Now let's uh, let's get to our last movie that I and I I, I love this movie so fucking much. Um, Anatomy of a Fall. It mm. is uh, from Justine Triette. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. I do find that synopsis to be a bit misleading, um, <laughs> but um, dude, this movie, yeah, this movie owned. Like this movie, like there, there are so many things in this movie that worked. I was kind of like sitting in a kind of a uh, a haze afterwards 
of like, mm. I don't, I don't understand how this was so great. Like I am a sucker for courtroom dramas and for like an hour and a half, this is what this movie is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What did you, I, I don't know if I love this more than you. I don't really know what you thought about it. So, so what did you think about it? Like before we get into the weeds on it? I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, you know, I, I, yeah, this won the Palm door and I thought it was going to be, you know, like I read the description of it and I was like, uh, you know, just expecting it to be some kind of like artsy French, you know, shit <laughs> like, you know, like, and then I realized it was Justine Triette who, um, uh, Caitlin Phillips, shout out Caitlin. If you're listening, Caitlin Phillips, noted New York city publicist, uh, was going to come on our show and something ended up happening. I don't know what, um, but she, uh, she wanted to do an episode on Justine Triette's first two movies, which, um, I generally liked, I think I liked one of them more than the other, but nothing prepared at me for, for this movie. Like, I don't think, uh, nothing in her previous filmography prepared me for this. Like, this is a, this is a mammoth two and a half hour courtroom drama murder mystery that, um, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this fucking thing. This is a behemoth of a movie and it, it, Long story short, I think it delivers in every single possible way. Like I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Oh well, I I will start. I really only have one complaint, which I will air first before we for jump into the good stuff. It's too long. Um, mm, probably okay. by about fifteen or twenty minutes. Really? Yeah, only because I think that it kind of it it halts the momentum at times. So I'm not saying that it's too long because the movie doesn't have what it takes to carry that two and a half hour runtime. But I'm saying that because there are some lulls, it kind of holds the momentum. And I understand that certain um, lulls that I'm referring to can like help give you time to breathe and collect and like the story continues. But I didn't, I didn't like it. Some people might, but I mm. want it like once that shit started in the courtroom, I want it like pedal to the fucking metal, like, let's go. I want to feel claustrophobic. I want to feel like I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. Did she shove her husband? Did she murder her husband? Like, did she, are she going to go to jail as an innocent woman? Like, there's all these things that are happening. What did the son really see? So in those quiet moments, I I kind of, I, I lost a little bit of that. So that's my mm. only real complaint. Yeah, I get that. I, I think, um, I think I would have felt that too if the plot had just not been so fucking airtight, you know, like it, it, it really, I mean, almost down to every glance and every fret and every, you know, every word that these people are saying, it, it was like a fine tuned machine, you know, like a watch or something. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know. I, I really don't even know like where to start or kind of where to end with this movie. It's just, it's the, the courtroom scenes. I mean, Dude, <laughs> what is going on in France? I, like, I don't know, dude. I don't understand. I'm I'm not saying our judicial system is perfect, but um, what the fuck? There's like people in robes, and there's a guy reading from a fiction book. Yeah, and it to to this point to where it's it's uh, you know we're we're getting out of order, but I just want to say like a woman literally says, "Was Stephen King a serial killer?" And it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the fuck are you doing reading? from a book she wrote like five years ago as possibly 
having any type of, of, of proof or, or being indicative of all that she murdered her husband. Like, <laughs> dude, it's dude. Th- th- I can't even begin to understand the court proceedings. Like it's, there's a circle of people who were those people? Was that the jury? Was was that lower? How many judges were? Well, there? the group like, fluctuated. Like there was a fluctuating group watching everything. Sometimes there was more than others. There was there was right. one woman who apparently was in charge, but there was also like the lawyer had a whole team and the prosecutor had a whole team. And I don't really know what all was going on. There were just people randomly like cutting each other off, saying, you know, that's unnecessary, that's leading, or you know, all your normal court bullshit. But it like it I think it really adds to the I think I think she knows what she has with the French judicial system, which is something that is inherently cinematic, right? Like you look at something like Twelve Angry Men, then it's like these guys go in a room and you're essentially watching a stage play. Whereas in this movie, it's like anybody can talk to anybody. I guess that's just the fucking rules. Like <laughs> there are no like you know what I mean? There is no like it feels like there is no decorum or order. It's just like a free for all. Like at any time, the judge can just turn to the defendant. And, you know, it's it's really strange like that. And that, I think, is inherently cinematic because you have like these conversations like overlapping and going all over the place. And dude, that prosecutor, man, that motherfucker was out for blood, dude. Like, oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> dude, he was some of the shit he said, not just to everybody in there, but also to her. Yeah. was just like, God, man. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's like literally not literally, but he's just like, yeah. How do you feel about that? You fucking husband killer. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's, let's just kind of, let's just kind of take this. um, So the movie starts, I want to tell you a couple of things that I love about it that kind of play in throughout the movie. And then kind of, we can bounce off that. Okay. So the movie starts with her having an interview uh, with, with, you know, as a writer, her having an interview with a college student and they're talking and I don't know about you, but the vibes I got, which were later confirmed was very flirtatious. Mm. Like she was being very flirtatious with this. I don't think I would go as far as saying seductive the way he would, but uh, she was being very flirtatious and the husband starts playing a uh, 50 cent uh, cover of PIMP. Um, as I mean, loud as humanly possible. <laughs> one of the best music drops I've seen in a movie in I don't know, man, years. <laughs> like it's like what brought you to this song? Like who picked <laughs> this song? Because it's like this musical cover, right? Um, so he's blasting it to the point where they had to cancel the interview. No, so it, then, it, not like you said, as loud as humanly possible. Maybe even a bit louder than that. Like, oh yeah, like it's so fucking. He's two stories above them. Right. Um, and, and by the way, I thought he was a DJ at first. When, me when too. She was like he's working. I was like, dude, he's he's cooking up there. What is it? like? Yeah. Then awesome. you find out he's just like failing at remodeling the house. Um, <laughs> he's just a fucking bitch. who's like sad up there because his wife's flirting with some woman. It's like, dude, be a real man. Invite them both upstairs. <laughs> so <laughs> she she like kicks her out. She leaves. Then the next scene is like the son coming back from walking the dog and the, and the husband's dead. He's on the ground. Mm. Okay. So that's the first thing I love. We are exploring and discovering their relationship at the same pace that the jury is. Okay. So that's my first thing. But the thing I love most, the thing that I thought was a stroke of genius. I don't know 
where this idea came from, but it is absolutely brilliant. And that is the language barrier. And it plays in so much at that key argument they have close to the third act of the movie. Um, Because, okay, just for clarification, she's uh, and, and she's German from Germany. They're living in France. He's French living in France. She speaks German and English and French poorly, which if that's poorly, I would, I would take that. I know, um, right. And he, he is like, there's an argument at some point where he gets mad because you, you pick the predominant language in the house, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, at certain points in the, during the court, she has to switch to English because mm. she can't say those. So then there's a translator. She can't say certain words. The way the language plays into it is beautiful. Specifically, when it breaks down to that fight scene that honestly was 15 minutes of jaw on the fucking floor. And it was so masterfully directed that it pains my soul. She's not going to get a best director nominee because there's no way they're going to look at this Uh Um, because she moves in and out of we're hearing just so you guys know the jury's hearing the recording because he, he come to find out he records conversations sometimes without her knowledge. And the movie shows us them actually arguing and shows us, you know, them talking in person, but it weaves in and out of showing the courtroom, showing her reaction, showing the son, showing the jurors, weaving back into the argument. And I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't, but there is a key moment in said argument where it switches back to the courtroom and shit just pops off. And it's masterful. This movie... I did not care for her first two movies going back to the, when you originally said that. Um, so the fact that this movie kind of comes along and just punches you in the fucking face yeah. is unreal. This movie is brilliant. It's if you have not seen it, watch it. I don't know. But anyway, what, what do you think about all that? Well, no, I, I want to touch on exactly what you said. You know, th- there was a scene in Mad Men where, um, where they're all talking on the phone to Lee Garner Jr., who is their big account or whatever. And they have all they've got some kind of weird 60s device where there's like uh, a, something coming out of the back of the phone and there's like five different receivers. And like Don Draper has a receiver, Roger has one, and they're all kind of intertwined and tangled. And then there's a voice on the phone and then there's a secretary taking notes and it's also speakerphone. And it's just like, it's this really complicated situation. And I remember when it came out, somebody wrote an essay, which I could remember what it was. Somebody wrote like a little blog post about how like, do you understand how complicated it is to direct a scene like this and to make sure that everybody knows what's going on and to hit the humor points and to hit the dialogue points and, you know, like, like just all those things. And that's, that's exactly what this scene is, but it's, it's even more impressive. Um, Because we are going back and forth in time from, like you said, from the courtroom to the actual fight, we are seeing two versions of the main actress. Like we're seeing her, her current version after her husband is dead. And then we're seeing her in the heat of the moment, fucking yelling at him. And then we're seeing him who, to my, but to my knowledge, I don't think we had seen him before that really. I think it's the we've first... seen glimpses, but this is the first time we spend any amount of time with him. Right. Yeah. This is the first time we really have spent any time with him. So he's a completely foreign face and voice to what we've been seeing. Uh, and then we get the son's reaction to this in the courtroom and everybody else in the courtroom. Like it, it, it really is just a, a masterclass in directing. Like 
the way that it and and then it ends with just like an exclamation point you know um like you said it it, it is so impressive and it's also it like the content of what they're fighting about is really it's that perfect like um what's the word i'm looking for like a dissection of their relationship you know what exactly oh, yeah. is wrong with it you know like she's like we have to live here in france which is your homeland and he's like you speak the language and she's like it's a compromise i speak french or i speak german you speak french so we speak english you know what i mean like and then she's like our kids learning french he's not learning my native tongue you know and it's like there it's just this push and pull and back and forth and no one's right and no one's wrong and it just keeps escalating until a boiling point and it's like you leave it realizing, oh my God, this is two profoundly broken people who have a profoundly broken relationship. And, you know, <laughs> like it's, uh, it's just staggering how all that shit happens in like, I don't know, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. Like it's, oh it, it, yeah. It's, I mean, it's incredible. It, the amount the the rawness and what's really funny is, is I watched, you know, um, we talked about that show, the curse a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And I had just finished watching the episode where they have that argument that kind of comes out of nowhere. Hmm. Um, it's a really big argument. I think it's episode three. Um, and it's a, it's a throwdown. It's like souls laid bare. Like you're, you're attacking me really deep. So this is that like that, like, you know, but it's times like a million, like remember the, the fight scene in a marriage story. Like one of the mm. best scenes in the movie between Driver and and um, right. Scarlett Johansson, that was a good scene, right? But it was like this is like what if that scene was good? <laughs> well, like the thing is that was a good scene from a very surface level of like, oh look at us, we're struggling artists that have money, and it's right. very like bourgeoisie type Noah Bombach, pretty much Bombach shit, you know. Mm -hmm. This is like no, like we are two broken, devastated people with tons. There's so much fucking resentment, which we won't go into because I really don't want to spoil a lot of this movie for you guys. There's a lot of resentment because of a really big incident and all that kind of comes out in this scene and he's so broken and she calls it perfectly about where he is in his life and how he's just looking for someone to blame. Mm. And it is a brutal argument, the type of argument that honestly you don't come back from with or without suicide or murder, whatever happened. Like you do not come back from that type of throwdown. Yeah, I know it's a relationship ending throwdown. Uh, and it is just it, that scene. I, I, I literally cannot say enough good stuff about that scene, the way it was directed, the way it was acted. It was beautiful through and through might be one of the best directed, best acted scenes of any movie I've seen this year. Hmm. No, I, I would, I would completely agree. I mean, you know, and, and something else I want to point out this movie does too is, you know, it, it, sometimes, and I, I think this is true, even in the best of movies, um, you know, especially like Europe, European movies, it can be like, uh, yeah, the main character is an architect and the, uh, the, the husband is an architect and the wife is a writer and they live in, you know, it's like kind of like tar almost, but tar does a great example of kind of undercutting all of that. Um, but sometimes it's just like, yeah, these are two obscenely wealthy people. They live in a nice house. Um, 
And that has nothing to do with the meat and potatoes of the movie. It's just set dressing, you know. And this one, it kind of like it makes you think that because they live in this, you know, cabin in this beautiful area of, you know, the French Alps. But then you realize they're fucking broke and that they moved here to this cabin and like are fixing it up and it's kind of in shambles and like they don't really have that successful of a life. Like, you know, even though she's a relatively famous author, you know, like it really undercuts that kind of like wish fulfillment. And I know this on a deep level, because frankly, that's why I love a lot of like modern European movies is to see like, you know, wealthy people in Berlin, like living, you know, functioning lives as opposed to us in America, you know, but like this movie really undercuts that, like they don't have a lot going for them, you know, like it's, I don't know. And and their marriage is falling apart and it's a tough one, man. Oh, and, and last thing, how'd they get that dog to do that? I don't know, dude. Um, that, if you've seen that, the movie, you know. And if you haven't seen the movie, you should watch it just for this. I don't know how they got the dog to do what they got the dog to do. Um, and also, like, did I they kill a dog? Did they kill a dog? <laughs> I don't want any. I don't. I don't want us to spoil anything. But I'm also very confused by that scene. But that's an off pod conversation. But I want to go back to one thing you said that that I that I really liked about this movie in terms of the subject matter, which is they they weren't like. Like you said, typically this is off screen shit where it's like you just assume they're both artists and they live in the city and like they have to be financially well off. Right. But this movie kind of lets you know early on they have financial troubles. It's mentioned in court a couple of times. And then you find out actually, no, they're like they're broke. That's why they're there. And that adds a whole new dimension Mm. to it, in my opinion, because you don't really get that. There is mention of money. And like a marriage story, like where he's too broke to pay for the lawyer and has to go to a cheap one and like, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, come on, you run a theater group. You're never really in danger of like being homeless. Right. 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 This, this was tough. Like, so, so adding that in, I mean, I don't know, man, I, I'm blown away by this movie. I'm blown away by it. I cannot believe it was this good. It was, it's been on my radar a while. I wanted to go see it in theaters, but unfortunately I was out of town when it was here. Um, it was it was as good as advertised. I expected big things, and it really, really delivered. It, it's it's. I'm glad it delivered for you. It was yeah. I know. I I also like the comparison to Marriage Story too. That's a really really good comparison of like someone who makes a pretty fine movie about divorce. You know, like okay, that's a pretty good movie. Like I have, I have no real complaints. I feel like some of the people making fun of their acting and stuff was a little bit you know kind of over the top and like that's fine. That's, you know, like, but you, you, when it's compared to something like this, you're like, man, really like, (laughs) you know, you can really see the difference. Like Adam driver. And one of them is like, I was a director. I could have sex with anybody. And I chose not to. And meanwhile, this guy's like, you've broken my spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And dude, also Adam Adam driver is mad. He cannot like fuck random girls. And this guy's like, no, no, no. You've destroyed my will to live completely. (laughs) And this movie, in my opinion, like, I don't know if you'll disagree, but it does such a fascinating job of setting it up to the point to where it's like, look, I don't, I think you're both broken and I don't really blame anybody for this mess. I just feel bad for the kid. Like yeah, that, oh God, that poor fucking blind kid, man, he didn't yeah, deserve dude. any of this. There really is no like true villain in the marriage. It's just like, no, both of you 
are selfish. Both of you are emotionally stunted and your son is who has to pay the price. Um, yeah, man. I, yeah. So guys watch this movie. It's on VOD. Like it also another, another absolutely insane aspect of French court is like, uh, yeah, you don't live with your son until the trial's over. I mean, like, I mean, I know they do, but like that, like the son is like, I want to be alone this weekend. And it's like, all right, mom looks like you're getting a hotel. It's like, dude, what, what is going on? Yeah, dude. I, that part, I was just like infuriated. Um, it's just like no, I'm not leaving the house. You fucking idiot! Like <laughs> someone, someone's got someone's got to figure out what's going on over there, man. I don't, is it? They still got the Napoleonic code over there. Like what? What is? I don't know. Something, dude. They're fucking one bad wig away from looking like you know the old school powdered, um, you know the fucking yeah. aristocrat aristocrats and in, in court. Like, dude, I'm they surprised look, they look they're like not Mozart wearing the wigs. in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't that fucking was... know, dude. Yeah, what a what a what a great movie. No, I uh what do you think, man? Should we should we should we throw in our last one or should we hold it up for next week? No, I'll hold it for next week because I have a lot to say about it and frankly okay. I'm surprised I'm surprised you watched it. So we'll keep you guys in suspense for that one. Um, oh yeah, no, I watched it and loved it. Um but yeah, we'll it's a little bit of a long shot. We'll we'll keep it we'll keep it close to the vest until next week. But yeah, guys, I you know this hopefully this the, what we're doing this year in review as as everyone else is also catching up on on watching from last year just because of theater availability and you know all that shit hopefully it's helping you give you a little bit of guidance just because there's a ton of shit out there and as you can tell from this episode it's not all good so right. um and some of it is very good so it's like you know hopefully yeah uh, hopefully this is this is kind of we're helping you guys out or if 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 you're just watching a lot of stuff and catching up and need somebody to talk about that may december ending uh you know or uh or well any of these endings frankly you know maybe we can we can accompany you on your end of your journey but i think you'll agree out of out of everything we just talked about like anatomy of a fall is is the one i i i most highly recommend from this group of movies so yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think I would say that. Yeah. But anyway, guys, two more episodes for our year-end review, and then we are where we will have the top ten of twenty twenty-three out at the end of this month. So, if you guys and are watching a lot, let us know. If you have your list made already, let us know. We'd love to hear. Love to see what you guys have. Top five, top ten, whatever you want to do, let us know. So, and we might have a little. Uh, you know, we've kind of covered a lot of the major bases, so we might have some sneaky you know, sneaky under the radar stuff, you know, uh, coming the next two weeks. That, oh, I've definitely got some sneaky under the radar stuff and, um, oh boy. it, it's really under the radar. I'm so scared. yeah, I'm scared. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Okay. But anyway, you got anything to say before we get out of here? No, let's wrap it up guys thanks for stopping by the silver screen video don't forget rate and review wherever you listen it's a huge help and we will see you next week <laughs>